Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Zeri Osmani, Manager of the Martin Curry Global Portfolio Trust. Zeri joined Martin Curry in May 2018 from BlackRock, where he held a number of senior roles from January 2008. At BlackRock, he was a senior portfolio manager and had responsibility for managing several pan-European equity funds with a specific focus on unconstrained, high-conviction, long-term portfolios, as well as being head of European equities research. Prior to this, Sarah managed equity portfolios at Scottish Widows Investment Partnership and was a specialist sector analyst at Commerce Bank Securities, UBS Warburg and Credit Lyonnais. He began his investment career as a trainee fund manager at Scottish Investment Trust. He has a BA in Economics and Finance from the University of Paris-Bassembourg and a Master's in International Finance from the University of Glasgow. So first and foremost, a very warm welcome to you, Zerid, and thank you for sparing some of your time for us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. So the Martin Curry Global Portfolio Trust, first of all, could you talk us through the uh, sort of objectives and investment style of the trust? Yeah, sure. So the overall um, objective is to beat uh, the MSCI World Index over a long-term time frame. So we are long-term investors. Uh, our time horizon is five to 10 years, and we're looking to generate uh, strong returns for our investors over that time frame on a compounding basis. Um, in terms of style, we are quality growth investors. Uh, that's uh, typically where we migrate to, given the focus we have in terms of finding companies that generate high returns and attractive growth profiles over that time frame. So in, t- in terms of those, uh, those growth type stocks, it's, it's interesting to note that um, you're not one of the uh, FANGs fans necessarily, the, the big uh, US technology firms. And, and um, it's kind of underweight generally in, in the States. What's your, uh, so you've obviously found the ability uh, to be able to, to seek out decent invest, investment returns without necessarily riding the US tech wave. Yes, that's right. And um, you're absolutely right. We don't have any of the FANG, um, traditional FANG exposures uh, across the portfolio, which might be unusual for a quality growth investor. Um, the, there are various reasons on stock-specific basis. There are reasons why we're concerned or uh, less attractive to some of those stocks. Uh, there are also opportunities that we see in other parts of the market where we think there's either more attractive growth profiles and or returns profile, but importantly, more attractive uh, valuation upside on some of the names that we've got exposure to. And I'm sure we're going to go on to that uh, specifically. And um, you probably are highlighting correctly the fact that uh, some of the markets have been uh, very favorable to those stocks and uh, indeed they have performed very well uh, in, and Global Portfolio Trust has performed strongly uh, since uh, I took the leadership of the fund uh, and previously as well it's got to be said but particularly since I took uh, over the management of that uh, trust and that has been despite not having exposure to those banks so we're pleased in so much that the performance has been strong. Uh, clearly, we have missed some opportunities in some of these banks, but we do find opportunities elsewhere. 
So how does the trust look in terms of uh, sector and, and geographical um, sort of allocation? Yeah, sure. So in terms of geographies, we're um, currently underweight uh, the North American market. That's uh, uh, most uh, important underweight. And uh, against that, we're overweight Europe. Uh, we don't focus too much on geographic exposure from the point of view of country, of course. We are very much uh, stock pickers, bottom up in terms of uh, our uh, investment decisions. So it just so happens that that's how we're exposed. We do find attractive opportunities, in particular in Europe, but also in some parts of uh, the Asian markets. And uh, the importance of uh, how we look at uh, the exposure geographically is uh, we take every company in terms of geographic revenue and profit exposure, and that's how we analyze uh, our exposure in, um, in the underlying assets, really. And uh, if you look at that, we're actually uh, underlying overweight the U.S. economic exposure on revenues and profits. But we do find opportunities to gain that exposure to the U.S. economy through companies that are quoted outside the U.S. that we think have got a more attractive upside potential. So in terms of um, your top holdings, what, what sort of um, stocks typify the uh, uh, your, on your kind of preferred list at the moment yes so we've got uh, our biggest holding at the moment is uh, a company called massimo massimo is uh, effectively in the medical tech space in the healthcare space uh, we think healthcare is an important uh, uh, long-term structural growth opportunity generally just uh, from the point of view of aging population in particular but also in terms of uh, trends such as uh, genomics or uh, home care in particular. In the case of Massimo, this is uh, effectively a patient monitoring uh, software and uh, hardware company. It has a very strong share uh, of the market in a two-player market. So we like this type of industry dynamics, uh, strongly consolidated. Massimo's got a 45% market share of that market and actually closer to a 75% share of any new orders in that market. So it is growing its market share because it's more innovative. Uh, its products are uh, more attractive. And it's selling into hospitals. So it's a very uh, visible uh, trend. Uh, budgets of hospitals are tend to be very predictable. If anything, given the COVID crisis that we've gone through, it is very likely to benefit long term is in terms of uh, increased infrastructure spend in terms of hospital uh, infrastructure but also in terms of home care infrastructure and it's a name that uh, gives us a very attractive uh, growth profile as a result of that end markets uh, being attractive being uh, consolidated with uh, good pricing power uh, we're looking at a growth profile uh, generally when we look at uh, uh, these stocks, uh, we look at top line growth in particular, uh, we're predicting 13% growth per annum over the next five years on the revenue side and 18% on the profits uh, at the EBIT line. Um, and in terms of returns, uh, we tend to focus on return on invested capital. There we're forecasting its uh, returns to go from about 40%, which is the last reported number, uh, to 47% by year five. So this is a kind of name that we like because it's got this really good industry structure, 
high buyers to entry, therefore good pricing power, attractive growth profile that I mentioned, and a high returns profile. So has the recent uh, downturn that we've been seeing, obviously we, we had the March melee, um, has that provided you with the opportunity to uh, shuffle the portfolio around and, and how's, the, how's the trust generally holding up given the difficult last few months that we've had? Yeah, it's a good question, Richard. Uh, and you will have seen from commenting on the market that it's been a, a pretty uh, unusual period, not least in terms of uh, the recessionary environment we've been going through, given that it's been a globally synchronized uh, slowdown or shutdown of supply and demand, effectively. Um, so the recessionary environment has been strong. The market volatility has been very high. It's been the fastest bear market since World War II in the space of a few weeks in March, followed by the fastest bull market uh, since uh, the early 70s in the subsequent uh, three weeks or so from the end of March into April. And then that market has continued to grow uh, from there. So as investors, it would have been very easy to get whipsawed had anyone taken action one way or another uh, in the space of March or April. And um, from our point of view, we didn't do anything in terms of activity uh, during that period. However, we did spend a lot of time reviewing all our holdings. And um, we tend to be focused uh, on uh, building portfolios that are high conviction and concentrated. So we tested our conviction on all the stocks. We updated our forecasts for what was effectively the new environment, which was a severe recession globally. And um, it's very difficult to do so, of course, to forecast uh, whilst the events are happening. But I always say that if you uh, don't have forecasts, you don't really have a clear view about what to expect. So for us, we put in place a scenario of what we felt was the most likely shape of the recession and indeed shape of the recovery. We might talk about the details of that later on. And as a result of that scenario, we then updated all our forecasts across all the stocks and um, got a good sense for where uh, the upside was the most attractive uh, versus where the share price had fallen at the back end of March. So um, on the margin, we did take the opportunity to top up some of the stocks that had fallen uh, quite uh, sizably in particular in the industrial space, some of the beneficiaries of uh, what we think will be long-term trends on infrastructure spend, uh, in particular railway and 5G telephony. Um, and then we also topped up a few, uh, a few stocks uh, in the medical uh, space that were uh, unusually hit, such as in the dental uh, implants space. So given that, um, that background, which you, you described so well, What's your kind of outlook from here? Because obviously, whether you're look, looking short or medium term, there's any number of hurdles uh, that the investors are going to have to to get over. You know, U.S. presidential elections, U.S.-China trade spat. Whether some of these COVID changes are cyclical because we, we've been in a recession, or whether actually they're structural uh, and things are going to change. What what's the, what's the kind of outlook you're seeing from here? Yeah, the first thing to mention, Richard, is the forecast error is very high. And you will probably be talking to a lot of people and there's every type of shape of recovery uh, that you can think of. So um, from our point of view, we think recovery is going to be gradual rather than V-shaped. 
even if the first few months as we exit lockdown, which is what we're going through now, will feel like a V-shaped recovery, which is somewhat mechanical. You know, the economies have been in lockdown. There's been very low activity levels. And suddenly you exit lockdown, activity recovers. Leading indicators feel like the recovery is V-shaped, but really the importance is to assess whether there's follow-through over the next few months. And what we're concerned really is the underlying uh, deterioration in the labor market that we are seeing and will continue to see. Uh, as uh, lockdowns are ending, corporates are coming back to work and it might be the realization that there's less need for labor than there was previously. And so that's one concern. The second one being the uh, pandemic relapse risk, as we called it in uh, some uh, of our uh, write-ups. And effectively, we're seeing that sporadically in a few pockets where there's a return into lockdown. So again, that's going to weigh on activity level. And uh, generally, that will spill over into potential consumer confidence remaining somewhat fragile. So we're assessing uh, as we uh, progress through the reporting season. At the moment, we feel our scenario, which is gradual recovery and no return to uh, full uh, previous activity levels until 2022, seems to still hold for the time being. I won't um, so, so that uh, I mean, there are obviously commentators thinking perhaps optimistically, that uh, 2021 could be something of a, a return to form. I guess a lot of that's going to be dependent in some ways on, on the vaccine um, as, of, as and when it comes. But you're taking a slightly more cautious view about, about next year and uh, coming down on, on the year after. Yes. And, you know, it's, uh, as I mentioned, high forecast risk even for our scenario, but we'd rather be conservative. Uh, there are a few aspects. Indeed, uh, policy response have been tremendous. Uh, in some instances and in some of the large economies, uh, what has been pledged is uh, more than 10% of GDP uh, in terms of fiscal and monetary policy uh, combined. Um, the monetary uh, responses have been indeed supportive in terms of averting a liquidity crisis, and that's been one of the reasons why the markets have responded well. The fiscal uh, stimuli that have been mentioned is really the thing to watch because uh, shape of the recovery will be somewhat dependent on how rapidly those fiscal stimuli make their way into the real economy. Uh, and typically that can take uh, somewhat longer. But that will be an important aspect. It does feel into sentiment, actually, Richard, because ultimately there are a lot of numbers that are being pledged. In the US, in fact, uh, the two political parties are trying to outbid each other in terms of how much uh, they're planning to spend to stimulate the economy. So some of that will uh, need to be assessed in terms of uh, real economy impact, but uh, there will also be the sentiment impact on markets and on market levels generally as well. And that's a very important point, of course, because uh, a lot of the time we are driving in the rearview mirror uh, be that economic data or indeed companies updating, uh, telling us what has happened over the last three months. And inevitably, as we could yet see during this half-year reporting season that we're in the midst of, inevitably, depending on those results, that could be something uh, of a negative uh, impact on investor sentiment in general. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love the terms you use, Richard, rear-view mirror versus uh, forward-looking. And uh, it's something I often uh, highlight that uh, it's important to look through the windscreen 
to what's ahead. And for us as investors, it's a five to 10 year time horizon. So what we've been uh, discussing, debating, and then analyzing uh, for our companies and for the market opportunities has been uh, what is the shape of the world post-COVID. And we think there are a few long-term important trends uh, that are either continuing to accelerate or shaping up. Uh, and they are based on uh, what we've just discussed about uh, stimuli and uh, uh, infrastructure spend in particular. And we think infrastructure spend will be an important long-term trend. It will be channeled both in terms of um, uh, hospitals and healthcare generally. Uh, that is one point we mentioned, but also uh, railway infrastructure, high-speed railway in particular, telephony infrastructure with the 5G upgrades, and uh, also the green energy infrastructure, uh, in particular in uh, regions like Europe, which have made a big uh, focus of their stimuli. Um, then there will be the focus on increased uh, hygiene spend, both food hygiene and uh, premises, whether it's personal uh, home hygiene, but also professional premises. And there are a few opportunities there. Um, we think the whole trend around more working from home and shift towards more online uh, business activities mean that, that there's going to be increased uh, demand for um, cloud computing, for data centers, and also as a result for, for cybersecurity. And we think cybersecurity spend will continue to be very supported and in fact accelerate. Um, and then uh, there's a few other uh, areas. Uh, we talked about uh, hospitals in particular. Uh, home care will be important. So home care monitoring, which again, Massimo plays quite well into that. And then there's the online uh, education and gaming will continue to be very supportive. So really the importance here that we're talking about, Richard, is uh, we have to think very long term. For us, five to 10 years is a valid time frame. It can be difficult to predict over that period, but that's what makes us able to weather any short-term uh, market volatility because in the short-term there can be a lot of noise, there can be a lot of sentiment impact, not least from the China-US geopolitical tensions rising, which can mean that markets get uh, uh, taken into directions that are unpredictable generally. Whereas in the long term, um, if we pick the right companies with an attractive growth profile and the uh, attractive returns profile, these companies should be able to generate strong cash flows compound those cash flows over time. And over time, uh, if you have a company that has got strong cash flow generation and attractive growth profile, it's only so long that the market will ignore that company. Well, uh, plenty of food for thought there. And, and many thanks indeed, Zarid, for those uh, fascinating insights. Unfortunately, uh, that's uh, all we've got time for. So our thanks go once again to Zarid Osmani, manager of the Martin Curry Global Portfolio Trust. Uh, and thank you for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast. 